one. Good morning. It is Wednesday, August 26th, and you're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trey Scott. Joined today for the first time ever, Matt Prim, Oregon beat reporter for Duck Territory. Matt, how you doing, man? Good. How are you guys doing? Doing doing well. Um, I, I wanted to get someone on from from the Pac-12, from the West Coast, because it's been two weeks since the Pac-12 and the Big Ten canceled or postponed their seasons. We've covered the Big Ten. We've covered the, the, the protesting and, and Nebraska wanting to, to keep playing and that shutting down and all that stuff. But I, I feel like we've neglected the Pac-12 a little bit. And so more than anything, today is kind of just a welfare check. Like I, I hope everything's going well out there. But it, Matt, it does seem like it's been pretty quiet from your neck of the woods. And I don't mean that to, to, to say that the Pac-12 is apathetic about not playing while the Big Ten is fire and brimstone. But I, I kind of just w- would be curious as, as to your thoughts uh, as far as how the last two weeks have gone. I think this has shown the difference between the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and the unity of coming to the decisions that each of the conferences made to postpone football and, and all sports. Um, I, Certainly, I, mean, I, I can speak on behalf of, of Oregon and Mario Cristobal and uh, the athletic director, Rob Mullins, and from speaking with them uh, on the record in an interview after the news was made, you know, they, they were disappointed. They, they, wanted to, you know, they wanted to play if it was safe, but they also took in the information that was presented to them of, of why the league was, was postponing and were understanding of it. it. It's not that they were happy with the decision and uh, but they were understanding of it and they were supportive of it. And I think a big reason um, why the Pac-12 maybe isn't necessarily getting the uproar of the parents like we're seeing in the Big Ten or we're seeing you know, some of the national media go after the Big Ten and, and their commissioner of, of why they're canceling or why they're not playing is because the Pac-12 was transparent. And it, it's as crazy as it sounds, the Pac-12 did something uh, that was very good. And uh, it's been a very long time in which the, the conference is kind of at the forefront and uh, you know, was able to be a couple steps ahead of everything that was going on in which when they announced, when the Big Ten announced that they, they were shutting down and they were postponing their season, that was kind of that. They didn't really give too much detail of, of why. The Pac-12 provided a, a 12-page document that was from their medical team. And they provided that to the media. The media had an opportunity to look through that, um, read some of the reporting, some of the concerns. And then they went a step further and they had a webinar press conference through Zoom with Pac-12 Commissioner Larry Scott, uh, president of the University of Oregon, Michael Schill, who is the chairman of what they call the CEO group. That's the group of presidents of all Pac-12 schools. They had Dr. Ray Anderson on. Uh, He is the athletic director of Arizona State and the vice president uh, of the Pac-12 CEO group, I believe. And then they also had uh, a doctor on, one of their chief doctors that helped formulate their medical procedures and their policies and how they were going to go about fighting COVID and playing and ultimately ended up saying, we're not going to play. And they made those four people available to the media to ask questions. And we may not necessarily agree with 
their conclusions, but at least they provided transparency of how they got from point A to point B. Whereas the Big Ten, they didn't do that originally. And then a, a week later, uh, their conference commissioner releases a, a statement and it doesn't really go into even close to as much detail as what the Pac-12 did. And so I think, long story short, that's that's why the Pac-12 hasn't been been ridiculed. Um, but make no mistake, there's there's been some jabs at the Pac-12. I mean, I've, I've read some reporting when uh, the Wisconsin uh, an area paper up in Wisconsin was talking about when the Pac-12 is outclassing you and how to handle a PR, that tells you something. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I'm paraphrasing that there, but basically everyone is mocking how you know bad the Pac-12 has been run the last couple of seasons, uh, and yet they were able to figure it out, whereas the Big Ten hasn't. I think that's a big reason why the Big Ten is getting hammered right now. Absolutely. And look, if you had said in May that, hey, on August 26th, two of the five power conferences, power five conferences won't be playing, but one of them will be mired in sort of a, a PR disaster. Like we, I think we all could have guessed it would be the Pac-12 and then the Big Ten not playing, but I certainly never would have thought that the Pac-12 comes out looking way better than the Big Ten. Do you think Larry Scott has maybe improved his, long, his long-term chances of, of keeping his job out there? I know there's some plenty of smoke that no one's really happy with what he's doing. I think he has improved his stature. Yes, that okay. that is for sure. Um, is it enough to change the tides to push the league uh, to wanting to accept him and keep him as their commissioner? No, I don't. Th- I don't think so. Um, that makes sense. You know, they just went through a huge run of layoffs at the conference network. Um, they they have gone away from basic Mike Yam. He is the face and the voice of the Pac-12 network. Um, he was their head studio host. He did all their hosting of their podcasts that they provided. He was there when they launched. Um, total class guy, uh, highly respected, very good at his job. And they've let him go. They've let a lot of their reporters go. Uh, they've let a lot of their sideline reporters go. Um, they're, you know, they've gone through another round of, 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 of like, you know, let, let goes, layoffs. And this is a situation in which, you know, the conference is, offices in downtown San Francisco where the rent is astronomically high. Larry Scott's getting paid millions of dollars um, when they could easily move the conference to a different part within the footprint or go yeah. to Vegas. even though The league isn't, you know, doesn't have a school there. Uh, there's a lot of other issues that Larry Scott's going to overcome. And so simply doing this um, isn't going to change the tide, but it certainly is something for him to, at least be proud of and the conference can be proud of, of, you know, how they've handled this. It's not what everyone wants. I mean, everyone wants football. Everyone wants to see these teams play. Uh, a lot of people need these teams to play. Right. But at the same time, you know, they made a very tough decision. Um, and, and one thing I will say is, is uh, the league, they've talked a lot about, and this was brought up on the call with the, when the Pac-12 announced it was, they made a priority to come forward and say, look, we want to play, but in some cases uh, it, it may not be up to us. It, it's up to the legal or it's up to the, the governments and the cities that our, our schools are located in and if they could play. And that was a big factor and why they postponed because here in Oregon, uh, 
players and, and teams and, and schools, they only have to test a, a couple of days a week. Um, a couple other locations in the Pac-12 were advised that, hey, you guys need to test maybe every three days or every other day. And then there were other conferences where or other schools in the conference and their footprints, it was deemed you need to you need to test every day if you're if you're going to play. And so much variables go up and down. Um, I, I really think that factored into the decision as well of just, hey, like we're we're operating on so many different playing fields. Can everyone afford this? And it it, it doesn't make sense to really go through all this work when we could maybe just buy ourselves some time and try and play in 2021. So the the Big Ten and its fan bases and its parents are still like mired in the denial and the anger and the bargaining portions of of the grief uh, stages. Pac twelve yeah. and like your teams out there, and maybe Matt even for the people on the beat, like, what what what's what's the mood like? How how are the fans taking it? Because um, I I think the whole like we both we both work in sports media. And so like professionally, you know, it's, it's one thing to not have football, but I, I just think from just a, how it makes me feel or like a, a personal standpoint, I haven't even really processed any of that yet that we won't have as much football as we usually do. And for you, it's, you know, the team you cover, you know, the, the conference you cover, like there's no football at all. And I, so I just kind of wonder how that's changed life in the last two weeks and, and how everyone's feeling. Well, I, I think for me personally, it's weird. Um, I mean, I, I would be third week of, of fall camp right now um, it, on, a, on a normal year. So it's it's very weird. Uh, I, I'm not – it's more like a, a, a month of June for me right now when typically this is maybe the second busiest month of the year for me to be working. Um, from So for me personally, it, it's very weird. It's very different. Um, I quite haven't come to to – the full acceptance and realization of I'm not traveling somewhere on Saturday. I'm not going to Austin stadium here in, in Eugene on Saturday to cover a football game. I'm not going to practice. These storylines aren't, you know, the normal storylines that I'm writing about aren't being done. Um, Oregon fan fan base in general, in the pack 12, I think a lot of people are, are upset that they're not playing. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're going to go out and, and protest like, uh, some of the Big Ten people, you know, p- family members are of of athletes. Uh, there's, there's definitely they've they've been able to get through the the stages of grief uh, quicker than what the counterparts in the Big Ten have. Um, there's a lot of people that have kind of accepted it. I mean, I I know, you know, talking with a lot of people in the community when I would be out and about and I'd bump into someone that I know or someone would recognize me and we'd we'd start talking about. You know, are they going to play football or you know what have you? And you know, for the most part, a lot of people here in the state of Oregon didn't really anticipate football being played. Um, and I, I think part of that can be credited toward you know the government and the messaging that they provided in terms of what was going to be happening and what wasn't going to be happening. I mean, Oregon's governor announced back in late April, early May, um, that football concerts sporting events, you know, all those types of things that have large crowds that gather would more than likely not be happening at all um, in, the, in the fall. And, you know, that was a time in which, you know, there was a lot of anger and there was a lot of people of what, how can you make that decision now? How, 
how is that going to be? Why would you do that? Uh, a lot of people nationally were, were, were ridiculing our governor in the state of Oregon for, for making that decision and um, saying it was way too soon to, to, to make that call. And I, I kind of agreed with that, but it kind of set the expectations where they, you know, they felt like, hey, it's not going to be safe for us to congregate as, as big groups to go to these games and go to these conventions and these concerts that we like going to. And so we're just going to come out now and say they're probably not going to happen. And in that same time frame, you know, Tennessee's AD, Phil Fulmer, is going on record saying he's anticipating a, a full crowd at Nayland Stadium at Tennessee, 100,000 Tennessee fans. <laughs> and I think th- that pers- th- those perspectives are, are a big reason of how here on the West Coast people are taking this news opposed to people back East or, or in the Midwest or in the South where people who have no authority of saying, like a Philip former athletic director saying, we're going to have, we're planning on having a hundred thousand people in Nayland stadium for fall football. Like he, he doesn't get to make that decision. It, it's his, the local state you know, and health authorities in Tennessee that make that decision in Knoxville. Um, and so that, setting up the expectations with the fan base of, Oh, wow, we're probably not going to have sporting events because of health reasons in, in, in the fall. And, and maybe it's just going to be players only. So hope let's hope we have that. And when it comes out, it's, Hey, we're not doing fans. Okay. Well, we were already kind of adjusted to that. And, and now it's going through the, you know, the, the, the dial of the expectations of the bummers of, Oh, now we're not getting games at all, but we were already kind of anticipating a, a drastically different season already. And that's kind of helped. Yeah, I think you're right on the money there, Matt. And it's funny as literally, as you mentioned that I've got ESPN on muted here at my home and I see on the bottom ticker, Tennessee restricting attendance to 25,000. So you've seen like, especially in the SEC this week, attendance announcements going down to a quarter of capacity about on average. And, you know, like at this point, fans are just saying, all right, like I, I don't know any fans who are actually expecting to be at any games um, because they, at this point, would just would just take anything they got. Before I let you go, last question. I had pretty high expectations for Oregon this fall, and there's there's going to be a really interesting ripple effect for everybody within the next three to four to five years as far as scholarship and, and roster and and how everything pans out with the ability for players to preserve the eligibility, even if they play. And then, you know, you got guys like a grad transfer, Anthony Brown, who, you know, came in to win the, to try to win the job and like probably questions now about what is he going to do? And Oregon probably loses 33% of its cave Thibodeau window. And just like, give, give me, give me the outlook moving forward for the Oregon ducks without a fall season. Yeah. A lot of it, kind of depends on if can they pull off this winter type season they're calling it spring but it's more like winter you know discussing playing in january and february and march i think if they try and do that we're gonna see we could see six seven guys at oregon say i'm not playing because it it's not helpful for me in my nfl future penny Sewell has no reason to play in the winter or in the spring he, he if, if i was advising him I would tell him to just train, get ready for the NFL draft and get ready for your NFL season. You're going to be a top five pick at, at worst, potentially the number one pick, um, number two pick. Uh, don't, it's not, you're not gaining anything by playing Javon Holland's first round projection, safety junior, another guy, you know, don't play. 
And then they've got multiple seniors. Thomas Graham is a, is a potential first-round draft pick. At cornerback, Dominic Lenore was in the top 100 for CBS Sports' top 100 NFL players, another cornerback. Uh, they've got Jordan Scott, Austin Fialo, uh, Nick Pickett. You know, they've got a good group of, of this senior class where some of them are going to have to play, but a good chunk of them too. It, it's not worth it because they're already draft. You know, they're already going to be drafted. Don't don't get hurt. Don't hurt your long term for a season that's you're not playing for a championship. You're not playing for a bowl. You know, for sure. Maybe why risk it? Um, how does that change Oregon's perspective next season? Uh, lucky for Oregon, they've recruited at a really high level the last two years. So they've been able to, to really stockpile talent. Um, and it's going to help that maybe this, the view of this season is going to be kind of, of a wash. The NCAA coming out saying that, you know, players can, can play and still keep their, you know, that same year of eligibility for next year. So I, I look at a, a winter 2021 season as a year in which it's the, it's a developmental year. You know, they were ninth in the preseason AP poll when they were going to have everyone on the roster. They're going to play a traditional fall schedule. I still think they're a top 25 team. If, if Sewell doesn't play, if Javon Holland doesn't play, I still think, you know, they're, they're in that race for the Pac-12 championship. Uh, don't know if you can definitively say that they'd be the favorites without Sewell and without Holland, uh, but they'll be in the picture. And I, I look towards 2021 being a year in which they've had more time to learn the system because they're still doing, you know, film session. They're still doing walkthroughs and, and, and some light practice with the teams and with the coaches. Um, they'll still pick up things. It's like a, a simpler spring practice type deal right now here in the fall. So they'll still learn and pick up their schemes. But I, I would view 2021 as a, as a year in which, you know, Oregon's probably going to be a, a top 10 to maybe top 20-ish, somewhere in that range uh, type of a football team that when if they'd played a traditional year, I would say they were going to be a playoff team in 2021, even with Sewell gone, even with Holland gone, because of the quarterback development, because of the other four offensive linemen that are going to be new starters getting, you know, playing time and getting into their gears. And third year in the, in the Andy Avalos defensive system, and Kayvon Thibodeau will be a junior, and Sewell, uh, the younger Sewell, yeah. Uh, Noah Sewell and, and, and Justin Flo, five-star linebackers, having a year in the system. Dante Manning, a five-star cornerback, having a year in the system. So um, I, I thought 2021 was setting up to be a playoff year for Oregon. It's now going to, in my mind, look like a year in which what we saw in 2019, maybe a fringe playoff caliber team, but one that could still win and, and compete for the conference championship. Wow. Really interesting stuff. From Matt Prim. Matt, really appreciate you joining us. Um, we'll have to have you back on and keep checking in on you guys out there. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. All right. That's going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. Uh, we miss our producer, Tony Levitt. That's why we don't have any intro or outro music. Apologies for the rough audio. We'll see you guys on Thursday.